I tried not to go super heavy as far as hitting them over the head with a bunch of research papers. It was more about getting them through this really scary thing that he's experienced over and over and over again and focusing on the things that were controllable. Welcome back to the Clinical Athlete Podcast. If you're not familiar with Clinical Athlete, we're a network of healthcare providers, students, and coaches who specialize in the management of athletes. We have two missions. The first mission is to connect athletes with professionals who they can trust. And we fulfill that mission through the Clinical Athlete Directory. You can find your nearest Clinical Athlete provider or certified Clinical Athlete barbell coach at clinicalathlete.com. Our second mission is to create a community and foster the education of those professionals and future professionals in the realm of athlete health and performance. This podcast is one way that we fulfill that mission, and another way is the Clinical Athlete Forum. The Forum is our education, mentorship, and networking community where we discuss and share ideas and resources related to athlete health and performance. To learn more about Clinical Athlete and everything that I just mentioned, head on over to the website, clinicalathlete.com. If you enjoy this podcast, do us a favor and give it a rating on your favorite podcast platform so that we can get the information out to as many people as possible. My name is Quinn Hennick. I'm a doctor of physical therapy in Orange County, California at Clinical Athlete Newport. On this show, we are joined by our usual co-hosts, Jared Madar and John Flagg, as well as Taylor Allen Flanick, Clinical Athlete Intern. Jared is a physiotherapist and powerlifting coach in Waterloo, Ontario, Canada, a Clinical Athlete Provider and the Clinical Athlete Continuing Education Director. John is a certified athletic trainer and powerlifting, weightlifting, and strongman coach in Maryland, a clinical athlete provider and lead instructor of the Clinical Athlete Powerlifting Certification. We're bringing you another Coach's Corner. We started this in past episodes where John went through a case with us on a lifter of his who was experiencing hip pain. Now, Jared shares a case with us about one of his lifters who is experiencing back pain, and we try to hash things out with him. Enjoy. So I'm working with a guy, he's about 40, um, working with him since about end of 2018, I want to say. And he came on wanting to just improve his aesthetics, get a little bit stronger. He and his wife have been training for powerlifting for a bit, but he had had recurring low back issues before, a couple of tweaks. Um, and that made him cautious about training in general, just wanted to make sure he wasn't screwing himself over more. So from the time we started till now, he's definitely gotten stronger. He's become a more proficient lifter. We've also had at least three, maybe four, counting this most recent one, um, flare-ups of of low back issues. So the first one happened, mm, I want to say, a couple months into it. And in general, the trend has been whenever he throws his back out or gets some sort of aggravation, it tends to last less long these days than it used to and it seems to be less severe so i think the movements that have done it for him mostly or throughout the whole history have been squats and deadlifts um i think there's been an even distribution between the two he's not a very flexible guy at all that's one of the things we've been trying to work on in various ways but he it's tough to get into the hole of a squat without him rounding over his low back uh same sort of thing for deadlifts conventional deadlifts were were a struggle 
sumo deadlifts were easier to do. Just it worked better with the range or the flexibility that he had available to him. Um, so we worked our way down to the floor. We started him off with block pulls and then uh, got him onto the floor with lower intensity and worked our way up there. And then for squats, same sort of thing where we gradually worked our way down in the range of motion. Um, the flare-ups or the tweaks haven't seemed to be um, sort of led up to by anything in particular that I can put my finger on. They just seem to happen out of the blue. They haven't always been when we're at the the, uh, the peak of a training block or he's been super loaded with training or other life stressors. They just seem to just happen. Um, and then a couple of days, he's usually over the worst of it and we're back to training, work our way back up and we're more or less back where we started within the span of a couple of weeks. But yeah, let me leave it there um, and toss out any questions or clarifications you guys have. What are the nature of the symptoms? Um, if I miss this shooting, like what does it feel like? Yeah, uh, sharp shooting pain, low back. I don't think he's had any sort of lateralization down the, or I'm sorry, peripheralization down the legs uh, as near as I can remember. But yeah, just the whole low back, sharp, uh, it'll limit him as far as daily movements for the first couple of days. Again, first episode of this was really rough where he had a tough time for the better part of a week. These days he can still do stuff throughout his, his work day, but um, he'll probably skip a training session. He likes to work on his car in the garage. Um, so he'll have to be careful about you know doing things like pulling out the engine because that requires a whole bunch of standing and bending and lifting and all that. But, uh, but yeah, sharp shooting, achy stuff. Flexion intolerance. Yeah. Oh. Yes, to flexion tolerance. What kind of car? Ooh. I got to go back. Hang on. Keep oh. asking questions. I'm going to find it. I'm going to find it. So, um, what, like, what's his, what's his basic understanding of what he believes is going on? And what is his typical response when it happens? So, We've had good conversations about this, uh, starting from the first flare-up that he had when we started working together. As far as, you know, what he thought this meant, what the research might might indicate, and I tried not to go super heavy as far as hitting him over the head with a bunch of research papers. It was more about getting him through this really scary thing that he's experienced over and over and over again, and focusing on the things that were controllable. So. I think it'd be fair to say for him right now, he understands this to be a pretty uh, rough feeling situation. Um, I don't think he attributes any particular tissue damage to that. He wants it to stop, understandably. Uh, he finds it extremely frustrating because it gets in the way of training and working on the car and other hobbies that he has. Um, but I don't get the impression that he's, he's he's not catastrophizing about it, at least as far as I can pick up. And he seems to be dealing with it in a pretty productive way. He doesn't stay out of the gym for very long and he'll usually uh, be hesitant to give up everything uh, as far as activities and daily obligations. He'll still try to to do them as best he can and he'll let me know how they're, how they're going and we'll figure out a way to get him, get him rolling again. What's the frequency again? Let's say we've had four episodes um, in two years, two and a half, um, spaced out anywhere from three to six months apart. Is he, is he taken to normalizing it at all or understanding that it, it is probably a common regular part of any person's life? 
I'm not sure that connection has been made. I think he's particularly focused on wanting it to to stop or at least stop being as disruptive as it has been. I think he's accepted that this is part of his life right now, but he also understands that I'm not just, you know, signing off on that. It sucks to be you, buddy. Oh, you yeah. Know, we're we're yeah, working we actively to try that. to manage that. No. I was going to go there too, just to kind of get a beat on, he came, and I, and I know you said this, but he came to you for coaching in the beginning or as mm-hmm. a clinician? Coaching. Um, he, knew, he knew I'm a physio, but it was coaching. Yeah. Okay. And were his initial goals like, like, is he still clinging on to the fact that maybe this will just never, like maybe we can get to the point where this never happens again? And I say clinging on, not that that's not possible, but is that right. kind of the hope on his end? Good question. I haven't actually asked him about that directly. I would assume so. Yeah, at some level, yes. Because I found myself in the last year or so having more conversations where the 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 point of, of the conversation is speaking to them about how this might actually, in, in so many words, this might actually be part of your thing off and on. So like I personally, I have a thing. My thing is patellar tendinopathy, like anterior knee pain. And I've had it for 15 years and I'm at a place, I've been in a place for many, many years now where I don't even notice it because it's so common. Like it's just my thing, but I don't have that hope that it went away, that it's going to go away or never be there again. When I did have that hope for the first five years, shit was not very fun. And I was always thinking of like, in five years, am I still going to have this or I'm going to feel again? So I've, I've having these conversations more with people about like, what is, what do you think about this in regards to what you want it to turn into? Or if I were to tell you worst case scenario, these flare ups are going to happen once every quarter, once every six months, they'll never get worse than this, but they do suck when they happen but it's going to be like those drops in the bucket every now and then. Like it's possible that you just may deal with this stuff. How do you feel about that? Like that's worst case scenario. What would you tell me? And and then the conversation kind of like spawns off from there, but. It, yeah, no, that's a good point. There. And um, sorry, did I just interrupt? No, 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 I'm done. All right, cool. Um, that's a good point. And my reaction to that is, well, I'm sure it's probably the same as yours. That's not a fun conversation to initiate or to have anybody um, and not to say that he, my client needs to take the same approach that I did, but similar from similar to you, Quinn, my thing is my left proximal hamstring, you know, which you started to help me to work through, uh, a while ago. It's been, it'll be five years in August too. I've accepted that this is a thing, you know, my coach and I have had a couple of conversations about it and we've changed even how we discuss, uh, my symptoms. I think we mentioned this on the podcast a while back where I used to give him a number on the um, MPRS just to help him understand where I was on a particular training day. And now we've trimmed that down. So it's just green zone or red zone symptoms. Like, can you, can I handle it? If so, continue on. If not, these are the two decisions to manage the volume or intensity or shut that down, move on for the day. Um, and he's subtly come back to that every now and then like, yeah, okay. Well, it's a thing. We knew this was a thing. We've been through this before. Here's what we're going to do now. And it always comes back down to that actionable thing. And some 
something to, to give me some reassurance and to, to refocus, you know, my, my mind, which is usually in, in a frustrated and spiraling place. Well, one wanna, of the reasons I, I'm sorry, John. No, I want to, uh, sorry. I want to get back to Jared's guy here in a second, but Quinn, I have a question. When you had that mindset shift, did you find that you had more frequent and more prosperous training from that point forward? hundred percent. I will also say this though, there was, there was still some, some mechanistic, like once I stopped playing football and stopped backpedaling, cause I was a defensive back. And like, literally all we did was backpedal, 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 back. And it was like legs, like ballistic leg extensions all the time. Yeah. Thousands of reps every single day. Like once that stopped, symptoms immediately dropped to a certain level. And then once I kind of reframed things, and also started to incorporate, started to actually get stronger. Like it, it was just a cascade of things, but it was a process, man. And I wasn't ready to hear. I wouldn't. There were many points in my life where I wouldn't wouldn't have been ready to have that conversation or to be to listen. Because I look back and I actually think people tried to have it with me, and at that time I wasn't hearing it. I wanted like an injection, <laughs> and I don't think that's where this guy is. But. It, you don't know where he is until you have the conversation, you know, and that's one of the reasons I asked you if he came to you for coaching or, or clinical practice is because it's actually to me an advantage that he came to you for coaching mm-hmm. because, you know, you can then use that as like what I can do, you know, you came to me for coaching and, and to help you through this training process. And what I can do is uh, help you to manage, you know, whatever situation that you find yourself in, in the current moment, I always put the caveat, like, obviously we want to minimize the occurrences of these things and we want to minimize the severity when they do happen, decrease the likelihood that they happen again. Like that is always on the table, but likelihoods and probabilities are just that, you know? And and Yeah, for sure. Uh, Taking it back to you, John, it was a 1988 Porsche 944 turbo. Red. All yeah. right. Well, it's a Porsche. It has to be red or yellow. Yeah. It would, it, it's more fitting. Yeah, yeah. I've yeah. seen some like dark colored ones, but... No, nah, they're not Porsches. <laughs> All right. I'm going to leave that one right there. <laughs> so Jordan asked, um, what is his initial reaction? Does he keep moving? Does he lay down? Does he freak out when this flare-up happens? Yeah, it's a good one. Um, he, to the best of my knowledge, he keeps moving around these days. Back... The first, the first flare-up that he had when we were working together, it was so bad where, where he was essentially incapacitated for at least a day, maybe a couple. And he was moving around real slow, and it was, it was, it was a slog throughout that week. These days, it's more... I'm under the impression that he's getting through the week. He's still able to, to work. He's working remotely from home, um, and he's still doing stuff around the house. Uh, he might be a little bit slower. He might be complaining a little bit more to his wife but he isn't avoiding things. And he's usually, at most, he's usually missing a couple of days of training. And then we're back to it, even if it's just the bar, even if it's just something really light and working our way back up. So to me, I think he's handling it pretty well. And I think just given his personality, his disposition, and our conversations in the past, giving him that sort of bandwidth to make those decisions to skip a couple of days of training is probably a good thing for him. I'd like over time to see that maybe of his own accord or with less prompting from me, he he takes a little less 
time away from the gym, maybe instead of an average of two days, it's it's one. Or maybe he's right back at it the next day, even if he's just stretching in the gym or doing some something that he's pretty confident won't aggravate the back. But looking at the whole like two and a half year picture, he's he's come a long way. Um, and he's he strikes me as being a lot less afraid of things in general during a flare. You know what I find most interesting about this in contrast to John's case is how how we all kind of immediately shifted to different a different type of intervention for this particular person versus John's case. And it wasn't even something that we that we just like planned or discussed. Like I had no idea what your case is going to be, but autom- automatically with yours, Jared, we start shifting to this education process mm-hmm. where with John's it wasn't. And I just find that really interesting. And I, and I think it's appropriate. Right. You know, but, why do you think we did it though? Well, I, I think um, there's a lot of factors when you just start getting the history of the person, when you start connecting dots, like the, the length of time that this has start, that been a thing for him, mm-hmm. the, the infrequent but consistent occurrence, um, the kind of nondescript, nonspecific nature of the symptoms. They're not, they don't peripheralize the way that John's do. They're not um, mechanical. Like with John's, it's like, don't lock out the deadlift or the squat and I won't feel my symptoms and I can go as heavy. Like there are very distinct mechanistic mechanisms, mm-hmm. you know, f- f- kind of we can manipulate constraints and like actually make him hurt, not make him yeah. hurt. But with, right. your, with your guy, we can't. Mm-hmm. And so then it becomes like, instead of trying to be that mechanic, it, in this case, it's going to be very difficult. Then we start to be that guide and that consultant, which we are anyway, but... Mm-hmm. And I think it just naturally lends itself to that. I agree. I agree on all those points. I think for for my guy right now, the two things that will probably or that I have a hunch will be helpful here and now and over the longer term is getting him to focus in again on where his goals are because he came in wanting to improve his aesthetics. Uh, his wife wanted to start to get stronger and then she was playing around with the idea of competing and she did compete last July did awesome. Um, and then he said to me that, no, who knows, maybe, maybe I'll compete someday. And so I think he, at least I had that in the back of my mind, like, all right, now we got to get him to the point where if he wants to, he can compete. Bodybuilding? Powerlifting? Uh, powerlifting. I'm sorry. Yes. Powerlifting. Okay. So the aesthetics um, goals kind of went away. Yeah. They, they didn't actually come into the conversation at all since that initial intake. Um, uh, right. Which is why, in the last month, um, I've wanted, or I've revisited that idea with him and, and asked him like, Hey, this is what you told me your goals were when we started. Is that still the case? Uh, I, I asked, I told him that I wanted to know so that I can more appropriately design the program, but also support him and the habits that are going to get him closer to that. But I also want him to have a target that still seems attainable, even in the, in the midst of, or concurrent with having this sort of recurrent, um, pattern of, of back pain competing in powerlifting seems harder now you know if he wants if he still cares about aesthetics i'd want to go deeper and you know what in the realm of aesthetics do you want for yourselves just so we can keep our eyes focused on that as we as we manage any flare-ups that come um thought i had another point but that was that's one of the things that i think has been really important for for us to to start talking about in the last little bit 
You started kind of going down the path to the question I was going to ask. You mentioned with your coach, you kind of have like a stoplight system and that's how you guys manage it. And that seems to be working really well for you. Do you have a plan moving forward in implementing some sort of structure, not necessarily to hyper-focus on, but to to give him some self-efficacy, something that's simple that he can grasp onto that it's, it's a fallback. You know, it's like, okay, mm-hmm. this is happening again, but – I know I've got this system and I've got this thing where Jared and I are going to be fine. We're going to stay on the same page and be, be ready to go. Yeah, that's a good question. I, I hadn't formally decided to, to create a, a system or you know, codify anything that way. What we have done over the last three flare-ups is he's told me about it. It's like, hey, back screwed up. I'm going to skip tomorrow's workout. And I say, cool. All right. How you doing? I just tried to take, you know, get a temperature check and see how he is. And then I, I adjust training. And I've also, within the parameters, like say when things are going quote unquote normally, I'll give him an RPE target. I'll give him some suggested weights as, as ranges to shoot for based on previous week's performance where I think he's going to be. Uh, when things start going off the rails or seem like they are, I'm just giving, an R, him, giving him an RPE or even a description of how hard I want him to work or how I want that to feel. So I might just say, keep it light, keep it comfortable. Um, and I won't give him anything more than that. So he gets to make his decisions there or I'll keep the exercise up to him to choose, like pick a, a leg exercise of choice or a back exercise of choice. So he gets to sort of self-select what he thinks is going to feel more comfortable. He seems to do pretty well with that. And I'm basing that off of the track record of usually within a couple of weeks we're we're more or less back to pushing weights that were, we were touching before the most recent flare up. Um, so going back to your question, not formally, but I'm going to keep thinking about that now and I'll maybe just ask him, Hey, would this, do you think this would be helpful if we had a formalized system for addressing these things? Or do you think that what we have right now is enough for you? Uh, so that's a good idea. Hey guys, Quinn Hennick here. Consider this a little brain break from our coach's corner talk with Jared about his lifter with back pain. Don't forget that if you want more of these conversations as well as endless resources pertaining to athlete health and performance, consider becoming a member of the Clinical Athlete Forum. Applications can be found at clinicalathlete.com. And now, back to the show. So David asked, um, is the client aware of the fact that his pain experience will naturally improve and worsen at some points throughout therapy slash training? And what is his understanding of the effect of the work? the fixer mentality with him and about different factors impacting his pain. I'm going to say that, yeah, he's, he's aware that the things are going to get better. Um, particularly when he's in these flares, he's frustrated that he gets into them, especially with the frequency that he does. Um, but he, you know, he, he recognizes that it's going to, we've been there before and I've told them that multiple times and I'm inferring this from his actions too, but the fact that he, picks himself back up and gets in the gym and we start, we start getting back to work. That speaks positively to me. As far as yeah, understanding of the effect of my work, I think he understands me to be uh, operating the role of a, of a guide or a coach or a manager. He doesn't say anything or do anything to me that tells me that he's expecting me to fix him. Um, but he is expecting me to come with ideas. So I remember the other thing that I wanted to say before Flexibility, I think, is is one of the things that's holding him back, especially around his 
his hips. Like he's just not a flexible dude. So we're doing some drills, like some split squats, which I know he's cussing me out every week because I'm making him do these slow tempo split squats. But um, I think that, or we've seen actually that as we've worked on those things and have put him into those positions, especially around his hip and pelvis and that sort of thing, um, and just given him more access to that range, that translates well or pretty well over to his squats and deadlifts. So his start position on the deadlift and the squat these days, oh, it's night and day compared to where it was a year ago. Part of that, a big part of that is probably just the practice of those things. But I also have a hunch that improving his flexibility is going to at least help him feel more able or more capable of getting to those positions. And maybe on some level, like he's a little bit less exposed to uh, another flare up on any given day. You know, I don't think he expects this to to be completely gone um, following this most recent flare up. I, I think he on some level expects this to continue. And I keep saying I expect. So that's telling me that I got to have a conversation with him to make sure that I check in. Um, but yeah, he he's not interacting with me in a way that makes me think he wants me or is expecting me to fix him. Because if he were, we'd be having a harder conversation sooner. And that would have happened a while ago. And Jennifer asks, um, for the most part, is the client improving and noticing that his numbers are improving or does he seem to get to a certain point in training and then have a flare up? Improving on, on the whole, it's a little, well, part of what adds to the frustration for him is that he'll probably get in the territory of some PRs, hit a few PRs, and then we'll pull back just just because I see that his um, you know, RPE or his general execution of the lift seem to be dropping off. So I want to pull back, deload him a little bit and repeat the process. Might go through two or three cycles and then out of nowhere, seemingly, you know, we get a flare up. So he is improving. And then even in terms of his technical execution, his range of motion, all the lifts, those are going up. Um, this is also why I wanted to circle back around to his goals. Because if his goals are more centered around hypertrophy, then there's not a need or hypertrophy aesthetics is what I should have said. Um, there's not necessarily a need for him to squat to, you know, IPF depth, um, or pull off the floor. We can still have him make progress and hit PRs, but probably have an easier time doing it. Um, yeah. How do you guys, sorry, I want to run down that rabbit hole a little bit. How often are you guys having that conversation and how do you go about having that conversation when something like this happens and people get frustrated and they're so I'm just not going to get stronger or my, my competition squat didn't improve by 50 kilos. Like what, how do you, how do you help frame that? Especially if you actually have KPIs, like say a pin squat for me, like I know if my pin squat went up, my squat went up. So the big pin squat I had a couple weeks ago, that's just an indicator that everything's smooth sailing. If you hit a PR on a variation that I know translates well for you and you're mad about this thing over here, we, how do you reframe these things for people? Because I feel like it's a conversation that a lot of coaches have to have that are really uncomfortable with. Uh, yeah, I, I agree on that last point. I think for me, I, I first try to go for the empathy and, and establish that in some way, a genuine way, you know? Um, so for me, I've, I'm able to, if we're talking about the context of, of an injury or pain or symptoms, I'm able to lean on my, my hamstring issue. Um, and not, I try not to go for the, um, 
you know, I know how you feel card, unless, <laughs> or maybe I'll say, I think I know how you feel. And then I'll give them a chance to say whether I'm right or wrong. Um, but I'll try to ask a couple of calibrated questions and really give them a chance to vent and fill me on how they're doing and why they think uh, we're stuck. If there are any things they can point to. Um, <clears throat> I think I tried not to rush that conversation, not to blow past the, this is pretty shitty right now phase, um, but let that air out spend as much time there as we need to, but try to gently nudge the person in the direction of, uh, you know, Hey, I get it. We can keep talking about this and we will keep talking about this. Here's what I think. Here's where I think the low hanging fruit is. And this is where I think we go over the long term. What do you think? And then if we both sign off on it, then we start doing it. But that might be a thing that we come back to maybe on a semi-regular basis. If it's a, if we're right in the middle of a flare-up or some sort of issue that we're trying to get a handle on, maybe we're talking about that weekly, every other week or something like that. But if we're more or less handling it pretty well, or maybe we're, maybe we had a flare-up a little while ago, maybe I'm checking in, I don't know, every three, four weeks on that particular topic, if they don't bring it up, or if I don't think I have another reason to bring it up, but just some initial thoughts. Yeah, I I second that. I, ha, I to your first question, John. How often do I have the conversation? I can't give you an exact number, but I'd say pretty often. And it's it's whether people are in pain or not. You know, they have a bad training day or a bad training week, or even just life is stressful and they kind of like I don't know take it out on training. Whereas if if life is going poorly and training is going poorly then it's like the training is a nice thing to complain about because life, you can't complain about as much stuff. If it's <laughs> like, you gotta do what you gotta do. But like training is that expendable thing where like you can bitch about it. So I, um, I, I definitely try to take the empathy route where I've, I've said this before, my empathy bucket is not as big as some people's. Um, I wasn't born in Canada, but what I, so what I try to do is just at least make sure that I understand, like that I am hearing them correctly. So empathy is just kind of understanding, you know, putting yourself in their shoes, understanding where they're coming from, not necessarily sympathy. And I've done a better job of separating those two where I have more to give, but empathy is an understanding kind of a, you can be disconnected, but under, at least understand. So I try to mirror, uh, what they're saying and, you know, replay it back to them in a way that's, um, so I understand, yeah, definitely understand that this is frustrating just so I know where you're coming from. You know, this is kind of what you're feeling and I'll lay it out there as I'm seeing it, as I understand their thoughts and then I'll put it back on me and I'll say, okay, from my perspective, this is what I see. We definitely had a not so good day today, or we're definitely having a not so good week, but you know, let's, let's step back a little bit and let's look at the trends that have been going pretty well or your KPIs, John, like you mentioned. And so I'll try to zoom in on their current set of, of feelings and their current mindset, zoom out to what I see as coach, clinician, guide, and then put it back on them for the response to kind of meet in the middle. And I'll, and I'll believe it open-ended. So I'll give them my perspective and say, so, so what do you think about that in terms of, of what I'm seeing in regards to the positive trends here? Is that something, is that what you're seeing as well when we think about it big picture or are you seeing something different? And so it's kind of like throwing them, throwing it back to them, nudging them to think big picture. Now, if they come back to me and say, you know what, actually, no, I've, 
I'm I big picture. I'm not seeing improvement. And that's now we're actually getting to something. So this doesn't happen often, but if a, an athlete is frustrated in general with how training has been going and they're not voicing that, sometimes that might manifest in like lots of day-to-day complaining that you just think, oh, you're, not, you're just not thinking big picture. You're not thinking big picture, but maybe they actually do see the big picture as a failure. <laughs> and, uh, but that doesn't happen often. But if they were to come back where it's like, you know what, now we actually, we're getting to something, but most of the time what it comes back to is, yeah, yeah, I know you're right. If we think about a bigger picture, I'm just really frustrated. And it becomes more of a venting session where I just kind of like let it go and let them, let them do it because it feels better. Like I like to vent about stuff too. And it feels better when I'm venting to a human instead of the air. So I, I'll be that sounding board. Um, just yell out your window. Yeah. Ah, it's not thing. Right. It's not satisfying. Um, but so, so that's kind of a general approach. Now you're right. And I think one of the things that in there that I, I try to remind athletes is it, that, that you mentioned is it's real easy to take it out on training if everything else sucks. You know, we, we got a lot of people with COVID and everything going on right now. You get a lot of people who are like, this sucks. Training has been terrible today. And I'm like, don't forget you have a barbell and rack and all these other things that some people don't have. So, you know, yes, you got to homeschool your kids and you're home all day. And you've ran out of things on Netflix to watch and it just sucks. But it's really easy to be mad at your squat. There's a, a lot of other things going on. And then we have that conversation and next week it's like, Oh yeah, I feel really good. Squat was great today. Oh, cool. Awesome. I find myself saying a lot though, even like when it, when, when they have awesome days, you know, I'm kind of quiet cause I want them to ride that high. But in my mind, I'm thinking don't get too high. Cause there's going to be a shitty day coming mm-hmm. around the corner. Cause that's yeah. just how life is. But don't get too high on the good days. Don't get too low on the bad days. I say that a lot. And on days like that, I, because I say it a lot and I say it, like I said it the first time, I just say, and remember what we always say, and they know what's coming. But like, if I keep hitting them with that, sometimes they'll just start to take it on themselves. And they say, it was just one of those days today. Um, but, you know, they start to kind of take on that mentality in a positive way where they can stay a little bit more even keel. And some people are just wired different, you know, but I, I say that a whole lot and I repeat it and I don't have any problem saying it because I think it encompasses a lot, that one little phrase. But I will say, I'm going to add a little caveat to that. Savor PRs, though. Oh, yeah. For sure. Don't don't be that, that, that athlete that's like, yeah, but. Don't, yeah, but me. I hadn't seen a squat PR in like nine months, ten months. Come on. Savor that two and a half kilos. Like, my, yeah. Whew. My, my, it's not a rebuttal, but my, when I'm saying that phrase, it's more of like, don't think, yeah. And it's like, especially with pain or injury, don't think because you've had a couple good consecutive days, like you have that hope in your mind. Oh, well, maybe my thing is just gone. Maybe that thing that I've experienced for the past 10 years just won't happen again because I've had three great days of training. You know, I also don't want people to have that hope. That's very unlikely. And so I'm just like real gentle with it. You know, it's, it's awesome that you're feeling fantastic. <laughs> that is so going to be the thumbnail for this. <laughs> I want, I want more Quinn impressions. You all scrunched up with your fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs> um, Jennifer asks, do you think that um, where we're exposed to how well everyone else is doing on social media, if that can have an influence on your client's expectations in their training? 100% yes. 
a thousand percent. I mean, there's research on that, seeing people's highlight reels. There's even like the papers are like titled that social media, the highlight reel. And there's like anxiety ridden for sure. But just think it's just that though. It's a highlight reel. Like nobody puts their shitty days on social media unless they're doing it to drive, you know, sympathy, which I guess that happens a lot too, but. The last week, man, back off. Oh, did you? Personally attacked (laughs) Except for that yeah. meat recap that starts off with, well, today wasn't my day. <laughs> See, I like that because that's realistic. It's true. But the answer is yes, 100%. That's why I don't, I try not to just mindlessly scroll because then I start to feel worse about myself. Mm-hmm. Actually. Yep. Yeah, Actually. no, same here. Cool. Well, this I don't know if we this. helped you, Jared, but no, no, you, no <laughs> it sounds there. like you're managing it well. No, 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 definitely gave me some good thoughts. And uh, the biggest thing that I'm taking from this is that it's it's probably a good thing to come back around and have a good conversation with him. I am confident enough in the status of the working relationship that he and I have that I can bring this up to him and just ask him directly without putting too much um, not importance, but uh, urgency on it. Like, hey. Just thinking about this, how do you think we're doing? Got a couple ideas, and if he gives me the green light, then we'll dive further in. At the very least, we're still heading in a good direction. So it's helpful to to air these up, these thoughts out with someone who's not him, because mm-hmm. then I can say the things that I think a lot, but wouldn't tell him. Because, like you were saying, Quinn, it's just not appropriate all the time to air everything out. I'd like to thank Jared for sharing this case with us on this episode of Coach's Corner. And thank you, the clinical athlete community, all six of you, for joining us on this journey of knowledge and improved practice in both the gym and clinic. And remember, if you want to dive even deeper into the clinical athlete community, you can check out all that the clinical athlete forum has to offer, which includes our clinical athlete academy courses, amazing discussions and networking with professional clinicians and coaches, as well as students, and just our overall hub of knowledge in regards to athlete health and performance. Thanks, everyone, and talk to you soon.